Good morning, everyone. How are you? Thank you so much for being here. It is just delightful to see you. Beautiful day outside. The sky has been washed kind of clean, and it's just so beautiful. And, and the snow on the mountains, I, I wonder if you've seen it at all. It's just absolutely beautiful. Um, before we get into the message, a couple of things I would like to mention to you. Would you please open up your, your bulletins? Your bulletins, can you take a look at that for a second? I want to make a reminder to you um, out of here. There's a couple of uh, flyers in there. One is the legacy. This is for the gentleman in the, in the audience. This is for our mob meeting that we will have. If you'll note, it's, uh, we meet on Wednesday. We'll meet on Wednesday the 6th at uh, 6 o'clock in the uh, evening at the multi-purpose room. There will be uh, food to eat. We will have a time of worship. There will be uh, just a, a wonderful time that we can go over the Word of God. And we're going to take a look at the, at the life of Jacob, uh, Isaac, and Joseph kind of uh, overview it, not really deep, but we'll get you in and out of there in plenty of time. But what we'd like for you to do is to come. Now, there's some of you here, gentlemen, that, that you, you know, you said, gosh, I haven't been a part of this, you know, and I haven't, I haven't been coming at all. That doesn't matter. Come. Uh, come that night. And let us just kind of fellowship with one another, get to know each other a little bit. And, and if you don't have the time to come, please, what I'm trying to, you know, I want to so, so impress upon you that you can only do what you can do. You, if you don't have the time, you don't have the time. We're not trying to pressure you into something. We want it to, to come from the, the, just the freedom of your heart. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what I want to teach today. I want to teach today the freedom that, that, that we, we really have in Christ. And, and there's so many of us that feel this burden, this overwhelming pressure to do things. Uh, I want to free you up from that. Um, we're going to take a look at, 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 a, at a verse in... In, in 2 Corinthians, where Paul says um, that, that he doesn't want us. He says, each of us must do as we have purposed in our hearts, not grudgingly or under compulsion. And so, goodness sakes, uh, I don't want any of you to feel that you have to. But it would be really great, gentlemen, if you could come. This is February the 6th. It's a Wednesday evening at 6 o'clock. And there are no obligations. You come to that doesn't mean you have to sign up and you're in, 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 a, in a Bible study. Although... I mean, let me, let me be honest with you. I, ha- I don't try to hide any agendas from any of you. It, it is my, 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 uh, my desire that you would be in a, in a small group because that is the best thing for us in this church and it's the best thing for you and your family. The other thing I wanted you to notice in there, and I wasn't necessarily supposed to say this, but I saw it and I thought, what a great thing because it's, it, it has to do with kind of Valentine's Day. Isn't that when Valentine's is? February the 14th, isn't it? Anyways, on the 15th, on, on, on the third Friday, we're going to have something about true love, and, and uh, Wes and Paula Porter are going to speak, and also Brent and Melissa Slazak, along with Pastor Bill. Cannot wait. This will be a great date night. It's a time where we have a wonderful time with one another. So I would really encourage you to, to consider coming to that. Now, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to First Chronicles in the Old Testament, First Chronicles chapter 29. We took, we took a look at this last week. It bears repeating. It really does. And um, I'd like to, uh, to mention uh, it because it has everything to do with what we're teaching. <clears throat> when you turn to First um, Chronicles chapter 29, I want to just remind you how this all began. I was buying I was my own business, just going along studying the book of Acts. And we got to the verse, chapter 21, and we stopped. We just abruptly stopped. 
And what we thought we would do for us as a body of believers is to kind of make a statement of who are we in Christ. What is this church all about? Basically, we believe we would want you and me to know what is, what is our Lord, what does God desire from us as a body of believers? Now, we saw when the first church was formed, this is back in Acts chapter 2. I know I told you to turn to First Chronicles. I'll get there in a moment. You'll remember this. And listen, I, I want you to try to remember this particular place in Scripture. You'll remember that we we kind of studied some of this. In in, in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 42, there was a statement that, that the believers were encouraged by the apostles, Peter in particular, to become continually devoted to the things of God. And Peter mentions in that one verse, in verse 42, four things. We are to be continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, that is to to know and to study our Bibles, to, to get a, a, a hold on what is taught in here, because this lays the foundation for your life and my life in Christ. This is the, the place that you and I turn to to make sure what we are being taught is truth. And so we are to be, we are to be continually devoted to the Word of God. Then next it says we are to be continually devoted to fellowship. Now we learned that that word fellowship means much more than just the idea of gathering together and having fun with one another and having a Coca-Cola or coffee or, or something and just having fun. There's nothing wrong. I think fun is wonderful and it's a good thing to do. But in that context, the word fellowship means partnering, a sharing. In other words, we are to be continually devoted to sharing with one another. And we concluded that the best place that we could find in Scripture of how you and I are to be continually devoted to sharing or partnering with one another is Ephesians 4.12. It says that we are to equip one another for the work of service so as to build up the body of Christ. And so your partnering, your fellowship, your sharing with this church body means that you take the gift that God has so graciously given to you as a believer and you share that gift with the body, giving it back unto the Lord, so to speak, so that we can become a body of believers who are equipped. Because your gift is desperately needed, just as mine is. Our gifts are needed within the body of Christ so that we can become capable of doing the work of service, whatever that is. But here's the ultimate goal that you have and I have as believers, so that we might build up the body of Christ. That's our purpose. So we we know the Word of God, we study the Word of God, so that we can have fellowship with one another, and then we are to have communion. It says, I want you to be continually devoted to breaking of bread. In other words, to have communion. Communion, simply put, is a remembrance of what Jesus Christ did at the cross. That he went to the cross and when he took bread and wine on that last supper, that supper that they had together, he says, I want you to take this bread and this wine and do it. Whenever you eat of it or drink of it, do it what? In remembrance of me. And then he says, this blood is a new covenant I give to you for the forgiveness of your sin. And you can rest assured that we will need within our lives as believers the forgiveness of sin and also to remember what Christ taught us and that is to forgive others who might have sinned against us. So the process is know the word of God, 
have fellowship, partner with one another, share with one another so that we can equip one another, and also forgive ourselves and forgive others who might sin against us. And then fourthly, we are to be continually devoted to prayer. And what we learn through prayer is that prayer gives us the power to do whatever God has called us to do. But what we learned so beautifully about prayer is that it's not so much about us. We learn from Jesus Christ that the Father already knows what we're going to ask of Him. He already knows what we need. Our purpose in prayer is to exalt the holy and righteous name of our God. Now, with that as a backdrop, we came to the fifth thing that we are to be continually devoted to, and that is the giving of our finances. But, but don't be deceived into thinking, and I shouldn't be deceived into thinking, that it's all about money. Now, we are going to be talking about finances, but it's about the things that God's given us, our time, our talent, yeah, and our treasures. He, as we're going to see from First Chronicles 29, didn't forget, that's where I wanted us to land, is King David gives the most wonderful example of a few things. But mainly he gives us a great example of how the people give. In that example, we are going to learn, we're going to tear down all barriers of giving. I think most of us have been taught incorrectly on how we are to give to the Lord, whether it be your time, your talent, or your finances. And I want to teach us that there is a proper way of giving and what and how much we are to give. I'm going to, I'm going to teach us that. The Word is going to teach us that. Now, listen to King David. The people have just built a temple unto the Lord. And he says in verse 1, King David said to the entire assembly, gathered all the people around, and he said, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is still young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the temple, it's not for man, but it's for God. That's a great lesson in and of itself. Whatever you and I do, it's not all about us. It's all about God. Whether it's the talents that you have. Like when they came up here and sang so beautifully this morning, that was not about them entertaining you and me. That was all about us having leadership to kind of lead us into singing and praising the Lord and worshiping the Lord. And these dear people who have been gifted with wonderful voices and the ability to play instruments and all that, use that gift, that talent that God has given them. He gives them that and we give back to Him. And so they use that for His glory. Watch what, watch what David teaches us. He says, this work is not for man. It's for God. Then he tells us what he did in verse 2. But note verse 3. Verse 3 is very important. Moreover, David says, In my delight, in my delight in the house of my God, the treasure I have of gold and silver, I give to the house of my God over and above all that I have already provided for the holy temple. Then he tells us what he has given. Verse 6, look. He says not only did he give, verse 6, he said the rulers... The princes, the commanders, the overseers, they all offered to the Lord. What's the end of verse 6 say? Tell us they offered how? Willingly. Nobody coerced them into giving. Nobody made them give. They did not give grudgingly. They offered willingly. 
So we see that King David gave in his delight. We see that the overseers, the princes, and those that were kind of helping him, they gave willingly. And then we look at verse 9. It says, and then us, the people. The people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly. They made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. And then King David, he rejoiced greatly with them. And so what we learn out of First Chronicles is a very good lesson. They gave out of the delight of their hearts willingly. Nobody made them give one penny more or one penny less than they had wanted to offer unto the Lord. They gave with their whole heart. Now we're going to learn a wonderful lesson about giving. It's the same lesson we're going to learn about our spiritual gifts, our time, our talent. Everything is what David is... Here in First Chronicles chapter 29, starting with verse 10, David now is going to pray. And this is a place where I don't remember, to be honest with you, I don't remember if I learned this at a conference more than likely not out of a book. Most of the, my studying, well, it could have been out of a commentary. But I'm not sure that it wasn't something that the Lord just placed on my heart when I read through this place in Scripture. This place in Scripture impacted me because I thought, man, would I love to have been there. Would I love to have heard David's heart and seen how he expressed himself. And what we learn from verses 10 through 16, really further, but I want to just look at those, those seven verses, verse 10 through 16, what we learn is how David prays to his God. Watch these words. And I would encourage you to get to know this place in Scripture. I would encourage you to take this place in Scripture and pray it back to the Lord because you're going to learn a great lesson. Here's what you're going to learn. Forgive me. I'm really, I, I love this place in Scripture you're going to learn really what it means to pray. Do you remember when the apostles came, or no, excuse me, yeah, the disciples came to Jesus Christ and they said to him, we, we already looked at it in, 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 in Matthew, they, they said to him, hey, Lord, can you teach us how to pray? And he said, well then, okay, pray then in this, this fashion, pray this way. And what did he say? We, we've taken that prayer to say it's the Lord's prayer. Many people say it's really the disciples' prayer. But many people use that prayer and repeat it over and over again to the Lord. And he had already taught earlier, don't use repetition when you come to the Father. He doesn't, he's not going to be impressed by your many words. What he's going to be impressed by, we learn from that place in Scripture, is your heart. And so when they asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, well, then pray this in this fashion. Remember, our Father who art in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. Watch, 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 watch. See, King David knew this lesson. Watch what he does as he gives God thanks for the ability to do what they did. I love this place. Watch verse 10. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, here's his prayer. Wish it was there. Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. You, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, David says, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, you are dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. He goes on to say in verse 12, both riches and honor come from you. 
You rule over all. In your hand is power and might. It lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you. And we do what? We praise your glorious name. That's what Jesus Christ taught. Hallowed be your name. David is just telling God what God already knows. David is just telling God how great he is and how much he loves and respects and, and, and worships him. And he has said, now watch, this, this, next, this next verse just blows me away because this is where I got the whole idea about the cycle of giving. David says, but who am I? And who are we? Who are my people? You know, this morning, the first service, I was praying as I normally do. I sit back there and I sing with you, but I also pray. I also ask the Lord, just, just, just bless this place. Bless us, Father. Speak to us. Move me aside. And, and, I, and, I, and it dawned on me that, that I'm, I'm such a, a poor example or a poor sacrifice unto the Lord. I was sitting back there and I almost started to weep because I thought, goodness gracious, I'm asking God to bless me, and I'm coming to Him like a like someone would bring a blind animal, you know, or a, an animal just limp in there, you know. I, I, I'm not I'm not worthy. I'm not the one that, that that is worthy to ask the Lord to do anything. And I felt like like I'm going to teach you in the weeks to come out of Malachi, where 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 the Lord God says to the people, "Hey, stop what you're giving me, would you?" I know he didn't say it like this, but this is my way. He says, stop what you're giving me. He says, you know you're robbing the house. You're robbing the house of God because you're bringing me animals that are blind. You're bringing me animals that are already lame. He says, I want your best. I want your best or or don't give me anything at all. So I'm back there praying. And I'm realizing I'm offering the Lord something that's blind and, and lame. And then while I was praying, it dawned on me. In my heart is Jesus Christ. And that's the true offering. It's not me. It's my Lord. And so I said to him, it's not me that I'm asking you to bless. It's my Lord who lives within me. I come in his name. This frail, blind, beaten up body is not the one that is coming to you. I'm coming to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives within me. Because what I have learned in this study, as I'm going to show you in the weeks to come, is that God wants our first fruits. He wants our best. I'm reminded, man, I I will get back to this, I promise you. I'm reminded, this is not in my notes, I'm reminded of of a story. This is supposedly true. I wasn't there. I only heard about it second, third hand. But this family were very music, very music, musical, very music. They were very talented, you know, and they loved music. And they had this beautiful piano in their home, and they and they they got this brand new piano that was gorgeous. And so what they did was they they took their old piano and they 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 gave it to the church. And the pastor says, um, "I don't want this piano. Thank you very much. We want your new piano." We want the best that you have to offer, not, not something that's worn out. Now, I'd never had the, utz, the, the chutzpah to say that to you, any of you. But this pastor was teaching them something that we're going to be teaching out of how we are to give, and that is to give the best of what we have. 
story goes that those people took the old, the, new, the old piano home, put it back where it belonged, and gave the church the new piano. Now, I'm not going to do that to you ever, ever, never. But that is a great lesson. Listen to what David says about the whole idea of giving. And I think in this part of Scripture, you're going to learn a lot about what the Bible says about how you and I are to give. He says in verse 14, Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? Look, he says, All things, all things come from you. And from your hand we have given you. That is where I got the whole idea of the cycle of giving. It says, whatever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord, knowing it's the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. He gives you and me talent. He gives you and me our physical bodies. He gives you and me our time. He gives you and me our commitment. He gives you and me our finances. He gives to us, and we take that, whatever it is that he has given to us, and we take that bit, and we offer back to him a portion of what he has given to us. And that portion that you offer should not be, you should not be made to give any more or any less than what you want to give unto the Lord. That should be your offering willingly to the Lord. Not under compulsion and not grudgingly. And so no church, no pastor should tell you how much you should give. That should be something that comes from your heart as God so blesses you, you give back to Him. And so it is this place in Scripture, in First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 16, is where I find what I call the cycle of giving. The Lord will give to you, and you in return are to give back to Him. Now we're talking these next few weeks about money, but I'm going to also uh, put into the messages not only just money, but talent. Not only just talent, but time. Not only just time, but uh, uh, your commitment and your spiritual gifts. God gives to you and me. We take it and we give back to Him. What you're going to have to learn is what we just sung. It's, it, the words were, I, I wrote them down because I'm really bad at that, but nothing compares to the promises that we have in you. Nothing compares there is none like you. We sing for joy at the work of your hand. Nothing compares to the promises that we have in God. So what we got to do is believe that when God makes a promise to us, He will fulfill it. And so when He says to you and me, look, if you sow, this is in Second Corinthians, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you're going to weep, weep, reap bountifully. And that's not a gimmick so as to make you want to give more. That is just a truth from the Word of God. And I want you and me to be blessed by God. More than I can put into words, I want us to be blessed by God. So, as we are taught in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we are to instruct the people with their money of how to deal with the money that the Lord God has given them. And so we will try to do that here at this church. We'll try to do it with a... With, a, with the right heart and, and for no way of trying to um, um, interfere with what God has placed in your heart to give willingly with a delight. So let's pray and then get into the message. It's, Father, please, would you do us the greatest of favors, and that is open up our eyes and our hearts 
in our minds so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Father, we come to glorify the very wonderful and righteous and holy name of our God. As King David did, so we do. We praise you, Father. We worship you. And we confess that all the power and might, all the greatness is yours. You, Father, are dominion over all. And all things that we receive, riches and honor, power and might, greatness and strength, they come from you, Father. And so we thank you. And as King David says, we praise your glorious name. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Okay. Let's get down to brass tacks. What you probably want to know is, without any question or doubt, is how much, how much are you to give unto the Lord so that he might be pleased with you and so that you might be pleased with your own self, so that you and I might try to honor God with our giving and be faithful and obedient to what he has given to us. Now, we said last week, say it again, first and foremost... God says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're not to love money, nor are we to place our hope and our trust in money. God says don't do that. Now, look, look at, if you want to, hold your place, put a marker here at 1 Chronicles. At the end of the service, I'll come back to it. But if you don't, it's okay. It's just going to be briefly come back to it. But take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 with me, please. Two verses, verse 10 and verse 17. In verse 10, we are told, The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Now, let me say this first and foremost. There is nothing wrong, in fact, it's probably wonderful, to be wealthy. There is, you don't have to make no excuses. You don't have to, 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 oh, I'm so sorry I've made so much money. And I'm sorry I drive this nice car. Or I'm sorry I live in this wonderful house. No, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Be free in the Lord. Enjoy what He has so preciously given to you. Allow yourself to enjoy the wonders of God's blessings upon your life. So there's nothing wrong with money. It is the longing for it. In other words, the desire to make yourself rich, that's what's troubling. Look what it says in verse 10. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evils. Some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Listen, one of the things, I, this is kind of another rabbit trail. It's not on my notes, but I, I, I was reminded of it last night, and I want to say it again to this, this service. When I started playing ball as a young man, the, the minimum wage in the major leagues was $10,500 a year. Today, those guys make that kind of money on a road trip for meals. <laughs> they give them that kind of money like it's nothing. That was my salary. My first year in the big leagues was $12,500. I thought it was all the money in the world. My father's home was, I think he bought their, I think he, my mom and dad bought their home for $5,000. I don't know. But I remember paying it off for him. I felt like such a big deal. And I bought myself a, a Chevrolet convertible, white with red interior. I thought I was so hot, you know. I, I, you talk about wasting money. I did I do that? Then, as I went into ministry later on, all of a sudden, money started to grow. 
guys were making all kinds of money. I was sitting at home one day and I got a phone call from a guy that played on another team. And he had been to some of our Bible studies and he had been to some of the chapels I had the privilege of doing. And he took it upon himself to call me because he said he had just signed a $1 million a year contract, which was major. Major, yeah. <laughs> One million. It was major. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of money. But he called me because he couldn't handle it. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to deal with that much money. And he said he became frightened. He didn't want to leave the house. He didn't want to fly anymore. He didn't want to, because he was afraid he was going to die and not live long enough to expend it all. <laughs> I mean, he was just felt the pressure of this money. And I told him, I said, uh, relax, enjoy it. This money's not going to make you die any sooner or live any longer. Enjoy what God has given you. And remind yourself over and over again that you receive this from the Lord. This isn't because of your ability. Listen, if it was all ability, if it was just because you wanted, you desired it. Listen, I broke in the same year that, I broke in about the same year that Pete Rose did. And I wanted, I so wanted to be what everything he did as far as statistics go. I wanted to be able to play like Pete Rose. The problem was I wasn't good enough. I didn't have the talent. But I had the talent to make it, but I didn't have the talent to be that star. God gave to me what he gave to me. He gave to Pete what he gave to Pete. He gives to people what He gives to people. He gives us that portion and we are to give it back to Him. And so this longing for money can be a a, a travesty. It can really just tear you down. This other guy I knew, I get a call. I don't remember what city it was. Let's say it was New York. I don't remember if it was New York. But let's say it was New York. I get a call from this guy that uh, was in New York, and he said, John, he said, you won't believe what happened. What? He said, this girl that I used to think was the most beautiful girl on the face of this earth, she's, she's hustling me. She wants, me to t- she wants to take me to lunch. He's, uh, his wife was at home pregnant. He's on the road, and he's asking if he can go to lunch with this girl. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your room key. I want you to take your room key in your hand. I want you to go in the elevator by yourself. I want you to go up to your floor. I want you to open up your door. I want you to lock the door. And I want you to order your meal. Have room service. And don't leave your room until the bus leaves to go to the ballpark. Okay. Fine. Four days later, I get a call. He's now in Chicago. Let's say Chicago. I don't remember exactly where it was, but let's say it was Chicago. He said, John, you won't believe what happened. I said, what happened? He says, I was, I was sitting in the lobby reading the newspaper. And he says, I look up and he says, I saw the most beautiful ankles I've ever seen. I looked up and the legs got better as I was going up. And I looked up and it was her. She's now in Chicago. I says, where are you? He says, I'm in my room. The door is locked. <laughs> I said, good, good. That person got a little more famous, more money. I wish I could tell you his happy ending. Today, that person is divorced, left his family. The love of money and longing for it, some have wandered away from the faith, we are told by Paul, and have pierced themselves with many a grief. 
He says in verse 17, we are to teach people, we are to instruct people who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainties of riches, but on God. Why do we fix our hope on God? Because it is God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So we are taught not to love money, not to place our faith and our trust in it either. So the question we hear so often is if, if we give faithfully back to God, what does that amount look like? We've, I've heard that question. The most of us have been taught that we are to tithe. That is a very common word within the family of God, to give him a tenth of our income. Well, the question then arises, what is a tenth? Is it off the top? Is it after we pay our taxes? Is it after we pay our bills, pay for our homes, pay for our kids' clothes, our, our sporting events, the, the, the extra activities, the schools that our kids go to? Where is the breaking point? How much we are to give unto the Lord? I mean, what if we can't afford a tenth, a tithe? So where does that leave us? How much does the Lord expect you and me to give to Him? out of what He has given to us. If we give Him our time, if we give Him our talent, is that enough? Then we don't have to give our finances? If, if, if we're married and, and, and our husband and our wife both, both makes a salary, do we give from both incomes or just one? And on and on and on the questions go about what we are to do with the monies that our Lord God has given to us. Or the talent that our Lord God has given to us or the spiritual gifts that the Lord God has given to us. How you handle these areas in your life will give you an indicator of how you are walking with Christ at the moment. All of them. How you handle the money, how you handle your wife or your husband, your kids, your parents, the gifts that God has given to us, the the time that we spend in the Word of God, the job that we have, our prayer life, our relationship with other believers, every single one of these things will become an indicator and give evidence as how you and I are growing in Christ. Now I realize there's a problem. In all of this talking about giving, I know there's a problem, and the problem is this, plain and simple. People will come to us trying to convince us to give to their cause. I mean, being in a church... Man, do you hear it? They claim that, that they, what they have is of God. They know it's of God. And, and here's the one that, that I hear kind of the most. I was shaving this morning or I was waking up from sleep and your name, your face came before me and the Lord seemed to put you on my heart that, that I should ask you to give to our ministry. <laughs> Talk about waking up a bad dream, having my face on your... And it's really interesting that very seldom, if ever, does the Lord put their face on my morning and my thing in the morning that I would think about them to give to them. And so we get these things. And then it happens in churches. Oh, my, churches. Churches bombard you and me with their giving techniques, church drives, budget drives. Look, we all have needs. This church has needs. We will let you know what these needs are, but we are never, ever, by the grace of God, going to try to coerce you into giving. Not a penny more or a penny less than God has placed on your heart. What we want to do is to teach you and me 
What is the proper, what, how, why has God asked us to give and how are we to give? You talk about, about programs and, and, and books. There are myriads of them. There, there, are, there are church, uh, parachurch ministries that will try to teach a church how to get their people to give how to stimulate you, how to motivate you. Yes, some even say how to place a guilt trip on the people so they give more. Give me a break. Give me a break. I thought we were family. I thought we were supposed to understand the Word of God together and not to try to coerce anyone into doing something more or less. That's why when you come to me and you say, gosh, I'm sorry I haven't been here for a while, you don't need to explain to me it's fine with me. I want you here because the Bible says we're not to forsake our gathering together, but I don't want you here that you, you have to apologize to me. You, you need to understand that your time, what you do with it is to the Lord. If you need to apologize to anyone, it's to God. Not me. Not me. So what we want to do is to instruct, to teach us, just as we are told to do in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Everything that you and I have, I'm going to say this over and over again, it's not just your money, but your time, your talent, your treasure. Everything that you and I have, as King David said in 1 Chronicles 29, we receive from the Lord our God. He is given to us so that we may give back to Him. That is our cycle of giving. He gives and we return the favor. So your money, your talent, your time, your gifts, they're not yours. They never have been. And I want to try and teach you and me that These are not things that we have received. Our God has given them to us. He gives to us so that we give back to Him. And if you're missing the boat, you don't have to apologize to us. You need to answer to God. You need to understand, as we say, nothing compares to the promises we have in our Lord. And so the manner how you handle whatever it is that God has given to you, your cycle of giving, that's... That's between you and God. But most of us don't have a clue on what we are to give unto the Lord. So, what do we do? We turn to tithe, which is not even taught in the New Testament. The principle of tithing tithing as giving unto the Lord is not taught in the New Testament. The Scripture tells us there are two phases of our giving. Usually, we try to tell you about tithe so as to motivate you to give something. And for most people, a tenth is more than what they're given. And so we try to motivate you, coerce you to give. And that's for the wrong reason. We have no right to do that to you. The Bible talks of two categories of our giving in the Bible. One is called required giving The other is called free will. Required is where we got the whole idea about a tithe. In the Old Testament, they were required to to give. It was a a taxation, if you would, a tithe. And it was more than 10%. They gave closer to 30% than 10%. They gave a tithe to, to the nation of Israel so as to run the government. That was a part of their tithe. Required The other part 
was a required giving of a tithe to the nation of the priests of the Levites who did the, the spiritual work for the, for the nation of Israel. And so they gave a tithe to the government, a tithe to the Levites, now we're 20%. And you also learn from the scriptures that there was another reason for tithe, and that was for the poverty, for the welfare program. We are, we are told very clearly that when they farmed their lands, they would harvest their lands, but the Lord told them not to harvest around the edges. Do you remember? They were to leave the edges alone. Do you know why? For people who didn't have enough money, who people's land wasn't growing, whose people went, didn't have the, the means to do things so that they could go to their land, or if they were traveling through that particular land, they could stop in your field and, and take whatever they wanted to eat out of your edges. That was like a welfare program. So now you're up to almost 30%. Are we supposed to do that? No, not at all. The word for tithe in the Hebrew is called M-A-A-S-E-R. In the Greek, it is D-E-K-A-T-O-O. It's simply both words are mathematical words. Both words have to do with a percentage, a tenth. But throughout history... Mankind has always done business by tens. Ten fingers, ten toes. It's the way they kind of counted. And ten became to mean a number of completion, a, a, a whole, all, ten. Therefore, giving of a tenth was considered giving your all, giving the whole of something. And it then became an obligation asking the people to give a tenth, and that put them under compulsion. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. We looked at this last week, worth looking at again, because I want you to see something deeper within this one short verse, but so, so, so powerful. Watch what Paul teaches, very clearly teaches. You and I are not to make people give under compulsion or grudgingly. Watch what Paul says. Each one. Okay, you can just stop right there. Who's supposed to give? What if there's two, what if there's two incomes in the family? It's each one. Each person. And then the next two words are must do. That's a command. So each one must do as they have what? Purposed within their own hearts. And so you see from this verse that, 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 that giving is to each person. It's a command and they must do it just as God, as they have purpose within their own hearts. Not grudgingly, it says in verse 7. Not under compulsion, it says there. Because it says God loves what? Cheerful giver. What you cannot give cheerfully, don't give a penny more. Because God loves someone who can give to him cheerfully. As King David said, in his delight, over and above. As the people of his court said, willingly give. As the people in the congregation said, offered willingly with their whole heart. And King David saw what they all gave and he rejoiced greatly, the Bible says in, in uh, first, uh, first Chronicles chapter 29. 
I told you to hold your place there, and I, I did it without asking you to turn back. Required giving, plain and simple, takes away from the real purpose of giving. To give a tithe is unbiblical. It's unbiblical. What you and I are asked to do is to give what is called not required giving, but free will giving. There's another term for free will. It's called the first fruits. It's where you give the very best of what you have. This is where I normally threw in that story about the piano. The guy wanted to give to that pastor the old piano and keep the new one. He said, I don't want your old one. I want your new one. Again, like I say to you, I ain't, you're not going to hear that from me. But what you will hear from me is I want you to be blessed. I want you to purpose in your heart what it is you think the Lord wants you to give. And I don't want you to give a penny more. But I don't want you to give a penny less. Because I want you to be blessed. I want you to sense that God is speaking to your heart. In the weeks to come, I want to teach you the difference between what is required giving and many churches try to teach it because they try to coerce you into giving. And I want to take that whole, whole idea of tithing away and I want to present to us what is the biblical mandate of giving and that is offering the Lord our God our first fruits, offering to Him what we can willingly give to Him out of our hearts. And hopefully you will learn, as I have learned over the years, I told you last week that I learned to tithe. tithe. I learned to give from my wife. And I told you, what wasn't tied down, she would give away if it was at all possible. And I'm tying everything down. Don't give, don't give, don't give. That's the way we started off our marriage. And today, because of her, I would be fearful not to give. It is with a willing heart that I give unto the Lord. Because I have seen, I have seen him demonstrate to me that I cannot outgive him. I just can't. I can't. Impossible. So I'd love to teach us this. I'd love for us to be a church that understands the biblical principles of what it means to be continually devoted to studying the Word of God. And that is to not, not to avoid studying this, every part of it, even the, the difficult parts. I'd love for us to be a church that understands true fellowship, true partnering, where we use the God-given gifts that we have had to to build up the body of Christ, to equip one another so we can do whatever it is that God's called us to do. I'd love for us to be a church that is continually devoted to, to the, the whole idea of remembering what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross through communion, for the forgiveness of our sins and to forgive others. I'd love for us to be a church that's continually devoted to praying, that is, lifting up the wonderful and magical name of our Lord and our God and our Savior, and not tell them so much about what we need because Jesus already said he already knows it. But rather tell them what we think of him. I'd love for us to be a church that understands the whole principle of giving. Not finances, not just your finances. But that we know how to give the things that God has given to us. Our time, our talent, our gifts, the finances. I don't want you and me ever to forget what King David taught his people. God gives to us. 
Who are we that we could give back so graciously? He gives to us. We measure out what we are willing to give back. And we give to Him. I can only tell you that if you catch this principle and you use it within your heart of hearts, the more you give, the more you'll be blessed. Give. I'm not talking money. Please. The more you give, the more you will be blessed. That is God's word, his promise. Father in heaven, thank you from the bottom of our heart for who you are. Like King David, we'd love to repeat the wonderful words that he said. Greatness is yours. Power is yours. Glory is yours. Victory is yours. Majesty is yours. As King David said to you, Father, everything that is in the heavens and on the earth, you are dominion, you are ruler over all, and you exalt yourself. And so all things come from you. It lies in your hand to make great. It lies in your hand to strengthen us. And so, Father, we come to you to praise your holy and righteous name and ask your blessings upon us as a church, And individually as people, thank you for this time, dear Father. Thank you so much. Would you bless it? In Jesus' precious name, amen. By the way, I love you all so much. Thank you so much for being here.